So those who are able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 1. This is going to be some of the same passage that you heard last time, if you were here last week. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through the blood, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Welcome to Have a Seat Now. The title of this message is Spiritual Blessings in Christ, Past, Present, and Future, Part 2. Join me in a brief word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd uh, anoint this message, let it go forth and accomplish everything you purpose from it. We also pray for Dave that you'll bless his body uh, unto a quick recovery. And anybody else who is feeling ill, so much sickness that, that people have had lately, anything lingering with Karen or anyone else or with uh, any, any sickness or weakness in the body, we do pray for mending of bodies and healing for anybody else. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Spiritual Blessings in Christ, Past, Present, and Future, Part 2. Knowing God is a wonderful adventure. What He's done, what He's doing, and what He will do. So by way of reminder, last week I mentioned that verses 3 through 14 in the original language, uh, is all one big, eloquent, powerful sentence. It's all one big, powerful, eloquent sentence. So we'll be on this sentence for a little while. We'll probably go through some of the other parts of the book faster than this. But today, we're really only going to focus on about, about three verses. About three verses, and we're going to be mostly focusing on verses 4 through 6 today. By way of review again. So this, so this is a specifically addressed to saints. So this is believers to, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And again, this could be directly to one church, the church of Ephesus, or this could have been a circular letter that went to a number of churches, Ephesus being the most prominent city of the Asian province where, this, where they were located. And when we look at verses 3 through 14, verses 3 to 6 focus on what the Father has done. We'll be wrapping that up today. Next week, God willing, we'll get on to verses 7 through 12, and maybe even 13 and 14. 7 to 12 focus on what the Son is doing, and 13 and 14, what the Spirit 
will do. Some have called this a doxology. It's, it's almost like a little hymn of praise. Verses 3 through 14. It's, I think Paul is trying to, in writing this, trying to elicit a, a welling up of a praise to God as we're considering all that he's done. So last time, we left off on verse 3, mainly. Got into verse 4 just a tad. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when a, somebody turns to Christ in faith, turns to Christ as the Lord and the Savior, and turns to them in faith, that person in union with Christ, receives, or one could say inherits, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. That doesn't mean that they are perfect on the earthly level, but it does mean a couple things. One, it means Christ's righteousness is put onto that person's account. So spiritually speaking, God looks down and sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks at that person. And it also means that we have everything we need in Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything God possibly wants you to do in this life and exactly who he wants you to be here on earth all of that is available to you if you're, in, if you're in Christ, if you know Christ. All of that is available to you through the spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. For example, some of us, a few of us are going to a conference today. And more on that afterward. I'll, I'll mention at the end um, what time we're going to try to leave and things like that. But here's something to think about. Conferences are good. I, I, think it's, um, I think this will be um, an, an encouraging one that will help us get some of the a good perspective of what God wants, how God wants to work through churches. And it could be something good to communicate to others and be personally encouraged and, and taught and sharpened with. But here's a good thing too. You don't have to go to conferences. You don't have to go to seminars. You don't have to go to retreats. All those things are good. But you have everything you need in Christ for life and godliness through union with Christ. That is through knowing Christ as your Savior. All of those other things are icing on the cake. And sometimes they're very good icing. But they're icing on the cake. We have all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus through union with Christ. So as we go on and we look at more closely at verses 4, 5, and 6, here are some points that we're going to be looking at. God has predestined us. God chose us so that we would be blameless and holy. God predestined us for adoption as sons. And God predestined us for His glory. I'll be needing this book later on. Now, already, if you're familiar with the word predestined, you might be thinking, oh, where's he going with this? That's a big word. That's a, that's a word that many Christians throughout the ages disagree over. So let's look at those verses. Starting in verse 4. I'll read 4, 5, and 6. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, to start with, God has predestined us. God has predestined us. Let's start with something very simple. 
this scripture said he's, he's, he chose us and that he predestined us. So if people are familiar, there are some different terms. Some people, some people might, um, amongst us, some of you probably aren't familiar with these terms at all and, and, it, and it, it doesn't make any sense to hear words like predestination and some of you are very familiar with it maybe. But basically, there are, there are two camps and I'm oversimplifying right now. The, these camps could be broken up into different, different, it's like two rivers that broken up into different tributaries flow out of them in, in, in several different streams, if you will. But there are basically two camps. And when we look at scripture like this, people often fall into two different, two different interpretations. When people see things like, He chose us, and He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons, it raises the question. When people come to faith in Jesus, did the person choose to have faith in Jesus? Or did God, before the person was even born, as it seems to say here, pre-select people who would come to faith? In other words, if we come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, was that our own free will to choose Jesus, to choose to have faith in Him? Or did God predestine that faith? That is, did He bring us to that faith? Did He select that faith for us? Did He make us come to faith, basically? We're going to take a vote. No, we're not going to do that. No, just kidding. Just kidding. We're not going to do it that way. We don't really take votes on anything here, and that's, that's probably a good thing, because you don't see voting in the New Testament. It's, but we might vote for something like if we have like pizza or something else or something like that down the road. That's, I think that's okay. But um, So, to start off with, some of your translations might say some different things. You might have foreordained, you might have predestined, they're synonyms. Let's look at these two words a little bit. So predestined means to previously ordain and appoint to some position. To previously ordain and appoint to some position. And in this case, it would be to adoption as sons or daughters of God. And when people say free will, that, that basically means that that's basically the idea that God left the choice of do we believe in him, do we turn to him, or do we reject him? He left that choice in our hands. And here's the trick. It's a bit of a paradox in Scripture, but it's not a contradiction. It's a bit of a paradox. It's not a contradiction. I say it's a paradox because it's a seeming contradiction. And it's a seeming contradiction because when you read Ephesians here, it, it really, who, and this is a, a point where you can actually verbally respond at this moment. When, it, when you look at verses 4 and 5, who is the one doing the action? You can actually say it out loud. There's going to be a test. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the one doing the action in verses 4 and 5? Doing the action? Hmm. Yeah, 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 yep, God, yep. So we, we were, here it says we were chosen, so we are, we are the objects, God's the su subject, God does, God does the verb, um, and he does the action here. And it's a paradox because we've seen other places of scripture where it says things like, believe in your heart that God, that Jesus is Lord, or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So who's the one who does the action there? It's us. It's us. Here's the thing. We read that God, God did indeed predestine those who would come to faith. He did indeed choose it, yet he also holds us responsible. He also holds us responsible. So, I, I think when we say, is it God or is it us? I think if we simply say one or the other, sometimes we might dismiss it a little too quickly. The answer, I think, ultimately is yes. And how that works out is exactly how God intended it to work out. As far as how much, <coughs> how much free will did He give us? 
He gave us as much free will as He wanted us to have. <laughs> what we do with the free will is another thing. But He gave us as much free will as He wanted us to have. And here's the thing. You can find a lot of scripture on both sides of this fence. As some have said, this is an in-house debate. This is an in-house debate. It, meaning that if you look at church history, you'll find people who believe that man has the free will to accept or reject Christ. And you'll find people who believe that God, that God has predestined people to come to faith or to not come to faith. And on both sides of those fence, you see people who are solid in the Christian faith and the rest of their theology is very solid and they're being used mightily by God. So as Christians, we have to realize that it's, there, are, there are believers on both sides of the fence being, who, believe, who, have, who love the Lord, who are very scholarly, and who are being used mightily by God. I'm not entirely sure of which side of the fence I'm on. I'm not entirely sure. I've been on both sides. I've been known to climb over the fence. So I don't just sit on the fence. Sometimes I climb over and then climb back over. I've, I've been on both sides of it. And as we go through this, I think whether you're on this side or this side, or whether you have no idea what side you're on, you can apply this scripture from Ephesians either way. Either way. And here's how. So the fact is, God, those, another word you hear is the elect. So that's the idea of there's, there's a, a large group of people, such as all of them, and God chose some out of the larger group. That's the, that's the idea of the elect. Or, and so, the fact is, the elect essentially are those who know Christ. Essentially are those who know Christ. So when it comes, and I'll get into what it means by God chose a little bit more too. It might not be as black and white as even that sounds. The elect are those who come to faith. Here are a couple straightforward takeaways. The two simplest straightforward takeaways, if everything else sounds more confusing, which I hope not to make it, but here are two simple takeaways. The elect, that is those who come to faith. Those who come to faith are the elect. Those who come to faith are the elect. That's a, elect is a term the Bible uses. Those who come to faith are the elect, ultimately. Whether, whether it was they who chose God or God who chose them, those who come to faith are the elect. And God does hold us responsible for the decision. God does hold us responsible. We see it's not in Scripture. Nowhere are we told that it's something that we don't need to think about, that we don't need to think about coming to faith in Christ or not. We absolutely do. Scripture makes it clear that God holds us responsible for that. So before we go on, just a little bit more about these two sides. So there's, there's the idea of, and we could break this down even further. We could take all day and all year to discuss this. But for our purposes, we won't. To keep it as simple as possible, there's the idea that God chose those who would come to faith. And it's as simple as that. He chose. If anybody came to faith, it's because God chose for them to come to faith. And their choice to believe in Jesus had absolutely nothing to do with it. That's, that's more of the predestination end. That, that is the predestination end. And then there's the free will end that says we chose. But here's where it doesn't always get that simple. You see scriptures that say things like, um, no one, like the words of Jesus, no one comes to the Father unless the Son draws him. So we know, we know that it's not as simple as God just, that Jesus died and rose again, and then just kind of, he just kind of put that out to us, and we either take it or leave it, and, and God does nothing. We know that God is involved in the process. The question and the debate arises as to where he's involved in the process. Some people view it this way. And this is how we look at these words and still make sense out of them. So to simply say God did not choose us, we can't say that. We can't simply say God didn't choose us because, well, look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him, 
So, so some people would hear me say that and think, oh, you're one of those predestination guys. Oh, you're a Calvinist. John Calvin was a famous fellow who, who uh, was one of the people who described and wrote about predestination. Uh, and a lot of people will credit the, a lot of the writings to him. He didn't come up with the idea by any stretch of the imagination. But we won't talk about him much today. But the fact is, did God choose us? Yes, yes, God chose us. Did God predestine us? Well, look at verse 5. He predestined. Yes. Did God predestine us? Yes. Yes. According to the book of Ephesians, he chose us. He predestined us. The, the paradox lies in what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Again, some would say we had our choice had nothing to do with it. We have no choice. God brought us to faith or he didn't bring us to faith. He predestined people to come to heaven, he, or he didn't predestine others to come to heaven. Others would put it this way. Others believe, and we could look at all these scriptures in the interest of time. I'm just going to mention the couple sides and move on. But other people see it this way. God, being all-knowing, looked down the scope of eternity, as it were, because time is nothing to him. He knows the future. And he looked and he understood the choice that we would make if we were presented with it. And then when it says God chose us or God predestined us, his, his choosing us or predestining, predestinating us was based on the choice that he would see that we would make. So in other words, he looks down the scope of eternity, so to speak, and he knows for each person whether that person would choose Christ if they were presented with the gospel and then based on the choice of free will that that person has he then he then chooses or predestined based on that choice does that does that make sense I'm not sure if I'm saying that in a clear way sure so, so this way God God looks down the scope of eternity so to speak because time is nothing to him. Right. And, and he sees what choice, I'll say Laura, so L Laura believes in Jesus. So the, he sees that given, if, if he softens Laura's heart and, and, allows, and allows her to um, be, in, be in the place where she can make the free will decision to believe in Jesus or not, if, if she was presented with the gospel, would she choose the gospel or would she not? And if, if the answer is yes, then he chooses her ahead of time and predestinates her. And then and he brings the gospel to her, you know, through preaching or teaching or, or how, however it is. But that idea is that God looks, God knows the future and he knows what Laura would do if she was presented with the gospel. So it's ultimately her choice. And then... When he chooses her, that means he, he sets her up with the gospel so that she'll choose it because he knows, he knows that she would. So it's like, I'm only going to choose you because I know you're going to choose me. Like that. Like that. Right. Right. Yep. So two different sides of the coin there. And there are more sides. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There are more sides. I'm given the simple version because um, I want to carry on with the sermon and not just make it a theology lecture. Because, um, uh, woe to me if you walk out of here and all you know is different sides, right? <laughs> the, I want to get to the application. Um, so different sides, but now for some, uh, some application. So, in the book of Acts, uh, there were the Bereans. The group of people who, when Paul was teaching, the Bereans examined the scriptures themselves to see if what he was saying was accurate. So be a Berean when it comes to these things. That's what I say, be a Berean when it comes to these things. Study the scriptures, come to, come to your conclusion that you, you best believe is what the Bible teaches. That's what to do, but don't be divisive about it. That's the thing, don't be divisive about it. The point is, did Jesus die and rise again? Yes. 
is that do we come to faith by believing that Jesus is the Lord and that he died and rose again? Yes. And are we to share that with other people? Yes. Those are the essentials of this. There might be someone who believes that God chose everybody. There might be someone who believes the choice is entirely up to us. Either way, I'm not saying that both are true. But I, what I am saying is that people can look at Scripture and come to a conclusion and they can still have the rest of their theology right no matter which side they fall on really. And this is not one of those make it or break it things where if you believe one thing, one side of it that's not accurate, the rest of Christianity falls apart for you. There are some things like that. The virgin birth, the trinity. When, you, when you're off on one of those things, you're off, you're off on so much else from Christianity. So we, we shouldn't be divisive. People who, whatever, whatever camp you fall into, someone else is on a different side of the camp, there's still a brother or sister in Christ. We don't write them off. There's still a brother and sister in Christ. So it's not something to be divided over. Let's take a look. Uh, I'll read it. You can turn there if you want, but I'll, I'll read the verse out loud. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. I've shared this in other sermons. It's one of my favorite scriptures. You'll probably hear me say it again. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us that we may do all the words of this law. Now that's speaking, that's speaking of, of the old covenant law, but I think the application extends further than that. The secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that we can't figure out. Some of them are things like the future or the will of God that's not revealed in Scripture. And then there are some things that, that God has clearly revealed to us. Now, the, the idea of how much, when it comes to somebody coming to faith in God, exactly how much was God involved, and exactly how much was a person involved, I'm not sure. I'll be the first to say, I'm not exactly sure. I can't break it down into a percentage. I, I can't break it down. I'm not sure. But when we see things that we don't understand in Scripture, some things we just need to study more. Some things we just need to study more. But if there's a mystery a little bit, it's okay if there's a mystery sometimes. Because God is unknowable. He's made himself known. We, went, we looked at that when we looked at Psalm 119. God is unknowable in and of himself. That is, he, he exceeds our, our brains wouldn't come to fathom who God is on our own. But he's made himself known to us. And if there's something that we don't understand exactly about the Lord, we can, we, some of it we can just keep on studying and pray for understanding. We can come to understanding. And some things, it's okay if we can't totally figure God out on every angle because He's greater than us. He's greater than us. If, if just, as, just as a very little child can't figure out all the ways of what their parents are doing, how much more is it for us and God? How much more is it for us and God? So, as we move on, concerning the idea of God predestinating us, God choosing us, what are some ways of, of balance of this? Some say free will, some say God's choice. There are some ways that we can all agree on. And this is where, this is where I oversimplify and say, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are more avenues that this goes down into that we could take all, all today and, and, and all, the, all the rest of the sermons of the year probably to adequately describe. But the, I, I break this down enough to say there are some things that we can, no matter what, which specific avenue you believe, or if you don't know which side you believe, to believe that God has predestined us and chose us, what exactly that means you can walk away with these things. One, when it comes to people who are the elect, nowhere in Scripture are we, cho are we told to 
with an anxious spirit question, am I the elect or not? There is scripture that says, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. But that's, that's told to examine yourself to see that you're in Christ. It's not, to, it's not, nowhere in scripture are we ever told to think, to get up, if we, if we know we believe in Christ, and there's the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, nowhere in scripture are we told to, with an anxious spirit, go about wondering, what if God didn't choose me? What if God, nowhere in scripture are we ever told to wonder <laughs> such things. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. There's no, there's no weird double jeopardy that God's pulling on us. He has spelled that out to us. He's made that clear. So if you ever encounter a brother or sister in the Lord who's nervous about this, there are people who will wonder this and they'll, what, what if God didn't choose me? Well, do you believe in the Lord? Yes. Is there fruit in the, of the Spirit in your life? Yes. But what if He didn't choose? Then He chose you. <laughs> then He chose you. And, and whether... And however, whatever that looked like, however much your choice was involved versus his choice, the point is you're in Christ. The point is you're in Christ. Second, we're never told to question if others are either. And we see no positive examples of that in Scripture either. That is, in other words, we're not, when it comes to sharing the faith, we're never told that we're supposed to, supposed to wonder if certain people are predestinated unto faith or if they're not or elected unto faith. If you, believe in, if you believe it's all free, totally on the free will side or you lean heavily on the man's choice side, you wouldn't be worried about that anyway. But even if you believe more in the, it was, the, the choice rests on God's part, even if, nowhere in scripture are we ever told to try to figure it out if other people are. We're just told to share the gospel. We're just told to share the gospel. That's what actually matters when the rubber hits the road. We are told to respond to the gospel. And we are told to share the gospel. We are told to respond to the gospel. That's incredibly clear. Is there responsibility on man's part? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is where, that, this is where I go back to that Deuteronomy 29.29 in that some of us will try to ponder. Some of us will, will think about well, where, where exactly, there seems to be scriptures that say both. Where exactly does the responsibility lie? The fact is, responsibility does lie on our part. God does hold us responsible. Otherwise, otherwise it would be the more robotic thing, like he would, just, he would just say, don't worry about it. You'll either go to heaven or you won't, and, and I have it covered. But he doesn't say that. He tells us to go out and share the gospel, and he tells us to believe the gospel. And he urges us to turn to him. The choice, we are faced with a choice. What's behind that choice? To some, it might be a little mysterious. I think it's a little mysterious. I think it's a little bit of a paradox, what's behind that choice. But I don't let it stir me up too much. I like to ponder it. I like to think about it. But the fact is, we are faced with a choice, and, we, and everybody has a choice to make. Everybody has a choice to make. What's behind that choice? Sometimes my head hurts when I try to figure it out too much. The fact is, we are clearly told what we're supposed to do, though, aren't we? We're supposed to believe in the Lord, and we're supposed to share the Lord with others. So God has predestined us. God has chose us. What's involved in that choice between... How much is it God? How much is it us? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. And I won't try to split hairs too much more than that. But I will say, be like the Bereans. Examine the scriptures. Examine the scriptures. There are some ways that are, that are wrong to believe. But there are a lot of, I would say, I'm not going to split hairs over that because kind of like the end times, and the exact layout of the return of Christ, there are some weird ideas, such as Jesus not really coming back to earth. It's just all an allegory. I throw that out as unbiblical. But there are some different ideas of what exactly are the order of events that lead up to the return of Christ. Some believe this, some believe that. 
but the rest of their theology can be good either way. I say there are some things that's not worth being divisive over. <coughs> this, I believe, is one of them. So God, cho God predestined us, God chose us, and He chose us so that we would be blameless and holy. He chose us so that we would be blameless and holy. We looked at this a little bit last time. And in verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So that we would be holy and blameless before Him. The important part to look at, did He choose us because we were blameless and holy? No. He chose us so that we would be blameless and holy. We were not blameless and holy. Some people have better earthly lives than others. Some people to hold, it, hold it together on the outside, and some people do good things, as it were, more than others. The fact is, spiritually speaking, nobody's blameless, nobody's holy. But God chose us so we would be those things. When we come to faith in Christ, He, again, puts His righteousness on us. He, he gives us new life. He makes us holy in that respect. And then the whole rest of our lives, that can be given to becoming more like Him. And here's a good scripture verse for that. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. We look at this from time to time, and in fact, this is a popular scripture passage, but it fits very well for here. Look at this. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Let's hone in on this part. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conform to the image of His Son. Ultimately, we will be in our glorified states. Ultimately. And we'll look at that a little bit more when we look at verses 13 and 14. But in this life, all things, God wants to use all things, we comfort ourselves when it's the bad things, but it's even the good things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose, and He has a goal to make us more like Him. So when it comes to being blameless and holy, whatever we face in our daily lives, good or bad, when we're in Christ, God wants to use everything to sharpen us and shape us to become more like Christ. And that's a whole journey of a life of becoming blameless and holy. Blameless and holy. Will we ever be entirely blameless in the direct sense of the word on this life? Of course not. For moments, maybe, <laughs> until the next sin. But the idea is blameless as a lifestyle. Blameless as a lifestyle, uh, it's, it, it's becoming more and more Christ-like. Becoming more and more Christ-like. God has predestined us. He chose us in Him. He chose us to be blameless and holy. Before the foundation of the world, He has predestined us for adoption as sons. So when this, this uses the word sons, obviously, as you look in verse 6, just kidding, verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Of course, when it says sons, this means females who come to faith too. But he uses the word sons, and that way we can see more of the idea of an heir, of an heir. Think when it says he's predestined us as sons. This is more of the idea when it comes to the idea of becoming adopted as a son of God. It's when we think of adopted, sometimes we think of like a little child being adopted. But this is more of the sense of taking the place of an adult son. So picture a slave. Picture there's, there's a son, a biological son of a master. And then there's a slave. And the slave becomes part of, part of a joint heir of the father's 
inheritance, who owns the property. Heirs. And in this case, Christ is a king. Heirs of the king. So think back to the spiritual blessings in Christ. We'll get to this a little bit more in chapter 2 as well. Romans 5.17 says, Those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So reigning in life. So even this life, we think of we'll be reigning and ruling with the Lord in the future, which is true. But even in this life, does that mean that every Christian is going to get promoted to the president of the company? No. It doesn't mean that. Some people would say that. Some people would say that, oh, if you're a Christian, you're always just going to get promoted. I mean, that's probably a good, if you do, that might mean you're doing your job as unto the Lord. And many Christians do get promoted because they, they're doing the work as unto the Lord, and they're doing it honestly, and they're recognized for that. But that's not what this is talking about. Here's what Warren Wearsby has to say. God the Father created you to be a king, even if you're a female. And you cannot enjoy the fulfillment of your life until you experience this kingship through Jesus Christ. God the Son redeemed you to be a king, but you cannot reign in life until He is your Savior and Lord. God the Spirit can enable you to live like a king, but His power is limited until you yield your, life, yield your all to Him. And I'd insert there, we can't really weaken the Holy Spirit but in our own lives, through our disobedience or resistance to Him, we can quench the Spirit. Your kingship depends on your relationship to God, and your relationship to God depends on, your on the decision of your will. So thinking of, as sons of God, we're heirs of God, heirs to the King, ruling and reigning in this life, and we can rule and reign over our flesh, we can rule and reign over sin in our lives in order to live the life through Christ that He's calling us to be through all the spiritual blessings in Christ. So God, God called us. He predestined us. He predestined us for adoption as sons. God predestined us for His glory. Back to Ephesians. God predestined us for His glory. We should marvel at His grace. We should marvel at His grace. So God, God called us and drew us to Him out of His love, for sure. We could say other, other, other reasons. We read in other places, like in John 3.16, that, that God gave His Son because He loved us. And that is absolutely true, of course, and wonderful. In this passage, it focuses on the ultimate purpose of the glory of God. If you look at the end of, in this big sentence, 3 to 14, when it's broken down into describing what the Father has done in 1 to 6, verse 6 says, to the praise of His glorious grace. And 7 to 12, when it talks about what the Son is doing, in verse 12, it says, so that we who are first, in, first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And in 13 and 14, what the Spirit will do, we see again, to the praise of His glory. May all the glory go back to God. In this whole passage, we see this, there's this refrain that keeps on going back to, to give the glory to God, to praise God. This is ultimately done when, when God draws us to Him. He draws us to Him out of His love, of course. When He reaches out to us with the Gospel, when He reaches out to us with Christ, He does it out of His love for us, but He also does it out of His own to, to glorify Himself. To glorify Himself. If we were already pretty good to begin with, then it would be sort of like, oh, well those people belong to God. Well, they were pretty good. Of, of course they do. But when we're lost to begin with, when we're lost, sinful, on our own, if left on our own, on the path to destruction, imperfect, not loving God on our own, when God reaches out to us and we come to faith in Him, then it's all the more to His glory. And His grace shines through even more. Because when it says, again, 
he, he chose us to adopt us to, and he chose us to be blameless and holy again. We weren't that to begin with. But when we end up looking more like Christ, all the glory goes to him all the more. It's, it highlights his grace. It highlights his grace indeed. How costly it was on God's part. He gave up his most precious commodity, his son, to the cross. How costly it was on his part. And how free it is on our part. How free it is. There's a difference between the idea of free grace and cheap grace. <laughs> cheap grace, this isn't a, a biblical term, but it's, it's described as cheap grace is described as that idea of, ah, you know, believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. And it's this flippant kind of idea of, of you can just believe in Jesus and he'll save you. And, and while that's true, it's this irreverent idea that the rest of your life doesn't really matter. You don't really need to live for him. You don't really, you don't really need to become a new person through Christ. It's just, ah, you can, uh, it's probably pretty good to bank on a deathbed conversion. You might as well get the best of both worlds. I have a friend who actually plans to do that. He wants to live, live his life for himself, and, and he wants to live, live all the, the pleasures of the world that he can find, and he says, I'll repent on my deathbed. <laughs> and I try to tell him, you don't know if you're going to have a deathbed. But that's the idea of cheap grace. The idea of, the human idea of, ah, God's not really that important. I'll just, I'll just pray a little prayer, and that's, that's, that's all I'm going to give. But free grace is the idea of it has nothing to do with how good we are. It has everything to do with how good He is, that He went to the cross, He paid the price in full, and we turn with, with our spiritual bankruptcy. We have nothing to give. We have no, we have no religiousness that's going to impress God. And we come to Him simply as ourselves in need of forgiveness. And we just ask Him to forgive us and, and ask Him to be, that we turn to Him as Lord and pray to Him and tell Him we want to turn to Him as Lord. And He grants us new life. And that's the free grace. And then the blameless and holy part, that's the strength that He gives us for the rest of our lives. That's the grace that He gives us day by day for the rest of our lives. So predestined for His glory. For His glory. So we were singing a song today. And so often the songs weave in with other things, and our prayers weave in, our discussions and our thoughts weave in. And the, there was the song, I'll Stand, and there was that, that chorus that, uh, and, and that just the singer comes to that point of, what can I do but offer my life to you? That's not exactly what he said. But I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I think that's kind of the idea that Paul is trying through the Holy Spirit is trying, or the Holy Spirit through Paul, I should say, is trying to prompt in us to look at what, look at what the Lord did. Look at the Lord's grace. Look at the, Lord, look at the Lord's grace and be compelled by His love for us to want to praise Him, to want to thank Him, and to want to live for Him. And on that note, we should be humbled. We should be humbled. So again, going back to a lot of disagreement amongst Christians on what exactly, what exactly is behind the choice. What exactly is behind the predestination. What exactly is behind the idea of the elect. Those things, some disagreement. But here's something that we can take away. We should be humbled by it. We should be humbled by it in that we see, while we see other places in Scripture that man is faced with a choice and is faced with responsibility, here we're, we're faced with God's part. And this is what humbles us. Because we see that while the, there's, a, there's a view that was, was popular a couple hundred years ago and, and in different forms today, still, still around today certainly, called deism. And that's the idea that God, God created the world, but He kind of created it and set it into motion, spun the world on its axis, so to speak, and then kind of steps away and just, just kind of leaves it alone. He's not intimately involved in the lives of humans. 
It's a wrong view. But this view, and in fact that view would even go so far as to say the incarnation, it doesn't really embrace the idea of Jesus taking on human flesh because it's, it goes to view that he's not intimately involved in the affairs of man. But this view, picture this, and I'm not trying to say the different views of Christians, just, just looking at Ephesians 1 here. When we look at God before the foundation of the world, choosing us for adoption and predestinating us, regardless of where exactly on the spectrum that choice lies, either way, the fact that God was thinking this before the foundation of the world even began, that's just like the total 180 opposite of deism. God is very intimately involved in the affairs of humans. And just to think that this, so this, this is be way before Adam and Eve ever ate the fruit. This is before sin ever entered the world. Doesn't that kind of blow your mind? Mm -hmm. Try wrapping your mind around that. God, God, it's hard to get out of time, isn't it? Have you ever done it? Have you ever stepped outside the space-time continuum? I haven't. I heard you can if you go to White River Junction, Vermont, you like enter into a parallel dimension. I almost went in there once. But um, the, that's not true, I made that up. But it is a weird town. More about that later maybe. But the fact is, God was thinking, thinking of us. He was thinking of us before the foundation of the world. Before sin, before sin even in the essence of time even existed. He was thinking of adopting us as, ch as children. He was thinking of redeeming us. Even before all of that happened. And doesn't that humble you? Doesn't that express the love of God to you? To think that, to think that you're not a number to God. You're not a number. It's not some arbitrary thing where, where well, you know, God, God, God created us and either we believe in Him or we don't, and I guess we'll see Him in heaven. It's not that, it's not that far distant idea. It's God, God was thinking about each one of us before the foundation of the world and desires us to come to faith to that degree. And that should overwhelm us. And that's something that we could share with other people too. Many people don't, don't know that God cares about them and don't know that God loves them. And we can share that with them and say, God, God was thinking, God knew that you would exist before the foundation of the world. So, finally, we should be encouraged, and we'll leave off on this, we should be encouraged to witness for others. Witness to others. Witness for the Lord. To others. That is, encouraged to share the faith with others by this. And this involves, involves me checking the time is what it involves. Yes, this involves a brief story. As you could probably guess, Nottingham Family Day. That's what you all were thinking, right? Nottingham Family Day. It's pretty much what it sounds like. I only went once. In the town of Nottingham, New Hampshire, there is something that happens once a year called Nottingham Family Day. And it is basically a small festival in a country town. That's what it is. And higher ground, I don't know if, it, if, if, if they do it anymore, but higher ground Nottingham used to go to a Nottingham family day and have a table set up. And, and one time I went with higher ground and they were giving away free hamburgers or something like that. It wasn't like, it wasn't like an evangelistic crusade kind of thing. It wasn't like a really in your face, but it was just kind of being part of the community. A, a little outreach to, to put ourselves out there and make some community connections. And as we were there standing at the table, along comes this guy. I'm going to call him Phil, which I think might have actually been his name. And so picture a kind of tall fellow with this big fat King James Bible. He comes along and he, I'm kind, he, he kind of stands out. I know he doesn't go to the church and, oh, hi, how are you? And, and he said, I'm going to see if I can get Pastor George to pull a George Whitfield. George Whitfield is, a, is from generations past a, a revival preacher. 
who would do open-air preaching. He'd go out in a public space and start preaching, uh, preaching to the people. And do you, do you think Pastor George did it? I, I kind of thought he was going to. He didn't, though. He didn't. No, nope, he didn't do it. He, he discerned that it wasn't the right time and place. He wanted to just make some connections. Um, so, but anyway, this, what Phil said was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get Pastor George to pull a George Whitfield. Some people won't like it, but the elect are among us. I guarantee it. <laughs> Interesting character. Interesting character. Appar apparently, he did street preaching in Boston and such, this Phil guy. And anyway, there's something we can learn from Phil. There's something we can learn from Phil. The idea of the elect are among us. Without splitting hairs or going down lots of avenues, exactly what the elect means on, on the um, eternity past part, ultimately, the elect, anyone who comes to Christ is, is the elect. In the, in the simplest sense, no matter what else people believe, anyone who comes to Christ is the elect. And there's something we can, there's a takeaway we can, we can walk, with, walk away with that. Is the Lord, the Lord desires that none should perish and that all come to faith. And as we go about Market Basket, Gloucester Family Day, or, you know, as it were. There are lots of family days in Gloucester, I know. Festivals and such. Restaurants. Getting together with your friends. Getting together with your family. Your neighbors. Whoever else. Phil said, the elect are among us. I guarantee it. Picture this. Picture this. When you're in a place... Whether it's a big place like Market Basket, of all those people, some of those people eventually will come to faith in Christ. I mean, uh, unless you get in there like first thing in the morning, like, and, and there are very few people, maybe none of the others, I, I don't know. I, we don't know. We can't know. But, and you go on a typical day around those, you look around you, some of the people around you are going to come to faith in Christ at, at some point in their life. And just think, the Lord may wish to precisely use you in that, in that, whatever that looks like. Maybe it will be through having a specific conversation where you're actually able to articulate the gospel. Maybe, and in, more, and in perhaps more cases in day-to-day -day life, especially when you're, uh, you're going just about your errands or about your friendships with your, your, your neighbors, your friends, and everything else. In many cases... It will be through your light shining. And, and, and then maybe he'll give you an opportunity to actually speak about Christ later on. Maybe he won't. Maybe it will be through acts of service. Whatever it is, think that there are people who will come to faith in Christ and we don't know what the future is, but God might have you involved in that in a very special way. And remember that evangelism is a chain, the chain of evangelism. There's, it's exciting if you're the last link in the chain and you get to share Christ with someone and they come to faith. But, you know, the middle link is just as important. If God's working through the whole links of the chain, the middle link is just as important as the last link. Maybe not as exciting. But God gets the glory. And you might never know if that person comes to faith. But God still wants, us to, wants to use us in that. So, as we go out today, the main purpose, when we look at this, blessed be the God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, you are, uh, it, when you know Christ, when you know Christ, you are a child of God with all the spiritual blessings in Christ. Everything in Christ you need for this life. It's a matter of abiding in Him and, and walking closely with Him and becoming more like Him, becoming blameless and holy as a lifestyle, knowing God has made you like that on your spiritual account to begin with. And as you go about the week, meditate on God's great love for you, considering you before the foundation of the world, that you weren't an afterthought. And neither Christ coming to the cross was not an afterthought, but something that, that, you, that God had you intimately in mind before the foundation of the world. And I'll put this out there too. Say, consider reading the book of Colossians. It's only four chapters. 
you could easily read it this week. And it's a good one because, well, all of the books of the Bible are good, but Colossians is a great one to read because there's a lot in Colossians that jives with Ephesians. And perhaps the Holy Spirit will make some links for you that you can apply to your life. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, that, that, you, that for all who come to faith in you, you chose us in you before the foundation of the world. That's so special to believe that, that coming to faith in you wasn't just something that when we existed, you started thinking about us. But even before we existed, even uh, countless eternity passed before we existed. And to think of how, how much you care for us and how great your love is for us. And we pray that you help us to stir in us uh, a desire to share the faith with others and show love to others, knowing how much you care about them too. We pray that you would overwhelm us with your love as we can contemplate this and that you bring it into our hearts deeply, the depths of our love for you and the depths of your love for us that we'll reflect on and love you back all the more. We ask you to bless our time of fellowship and we ask, Lord, that you would draw us near you throughout the week as we go away. Open up doors for sharing the faith with others through both words and actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>